boy, he did just as well as Russ Taff, and uh, and uh, it just ministry. It's good to remember that, isn't it? With everything going around us to praise the Lord, and uh, he is powerful. Let me reintroduce myself to you. I am Rick Caldwell. If you don't realize, I've been gone for three weeks. Now, I will say this, a workman's worthy of his ways. The first Sunday I was gone, I was preaching at Chestnut Grove. I preached five messages that week, So, uh, but then the second week, I appreciate Kemper filling in uh, for me as I was able to get away for a weekend with Karen. Then last week, Glenn filled in, and uh, you need to know something about me. I am the most secure pastor in probably the whole state. You say, why is that? Because every time I go away, I hear how great everybody does, and yet you still let me come back, you know. But uh, we are uh, an extremely blessed congregation as we have a number of capable Bible teachers and preachers, and um, I'm grateful uh, for that. Um, In the late summer of 1987, God was really working in my life. I was sensing a call toward ministry. This wasn't something that was happening just in a period of a few days. It actually was a period of a few months. But God made that call very concrete to me at a camp in Cleveland, Tennessee, Camp Cherokee. I was listening to a message. It was the last night. And if you've ever been to camp, you know the last night is the big night. And the preacher preached. I don't remember what he preached. But I realized that there was a time where he invited anybody that would like to respond to how God was speaking through his word that night could come forward. And I knew that I needed to come forward that night. I walked in front of the congregation of teenagers. I was a college student. And I went to a man. There were a number of men up there. This man was named Alan Duncan. Alan Duncan was an all-Southeastern Conference field goal kicker. He kicked for the Tennessee Volunteers. He was a missionary kid. He was a hilarious guy. He told us about the time when they didn't have medical missionaries in the area, and his dad had to perform an operation on somebody's neck, and he said the rest of the man's life he was like that. But those things would happen. He was serving on church, uh, on the church staff, at Cleveland, Tennessee at that time. And I will never forget the words that he told me. He said, Rick, if you can do anything else, do it. It's not can you do it, it's that you can't not do it. Those were profound words at that time in my life. He wasn't trying to scare me away, but he was trying to help me gain clarity in that call And during my life, there have been a number of individuals, some of you here have done that to me, older ministers, other ministers, who have shared important words of counsel that have helped me move along in my spiritual journey. Today, we're going to look at Paul's words to Timothy. Paul was a beacon. Paul was a guide. He was a counselor uh, for Timothy. And so if you'll look with me, I want to begin reading in verse 6 of 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6. He says, If you point out these things to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, nourished by the words of the faith and the good teaching that you have followed. 
But have nothing to do with pointless and silliness, rather train yourself in godliness. For the training of the body has limited benefit, but godliness is beneficial in every way. It holds promise for the present life, but also the life to come. This saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance. For this reason, we labor and strive because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone despise your youth, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, give your attention to public reading, exhortation, and teaching. Don't neglect the gift that is in you. It was given to you through prophecy with the laying on of hands by the counsel of the elders. Practice these things. Be committed to them so that your progress may be evident to all. Pay close attention to your life and your teaching. Persevere in these things, for in doing this you will save both yourself and your hearers. Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters with all purity. Let us pray. Father, as we see these series of commands and instructions and guidance that Paul gives to Timothy here, open our eyes today. I pray that we would see how the truth of your word applies in our situation. We thank you, Lord, for these pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy and Titus, and how, Lord, Paul shares profound knowledge, not just for the ministers, but, Lord, for all of us in the church that we might understand your truth and apply it. Lord, help us to do that today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're returning again to our study in First Timothy. It has been a few weeks, but as you remember, Paul is writing to a younger Timothy. And here in chapter 4, we see that he's providing some godly counsel uh, to Timothy. And, you know, it seems as you go through, you see a series of commands, and you say, boy, he's going here, he's saying this, he's saying that. But as we look at our text this morning, the, the words that we just looked at, there's really one verse that really provides an outline for our entire text this morning, and it's actually verse 16. And there Paul says, pay close attention to your life and your teaching. Persevere in these things, for in, in doing this you will save both yourself and you hear us. Now, there's something that's sort of aside to where we're going today, but it's important as we look at the second half of this verse. Paul is not saying that Timothy would merit his own salvation by doing it. Rather, he's saying that the persevering in the faith that he's carrying out gives evidence that he is a believer. It would be much like if someone received a medal at the end of a race, we wouldn't have to wonder, did they actually enter and participate in that race? But really, the first part of the verse develops the entire outline for all of these verses. He says, pay close attention, pay close attention. In other words, what he's saying to Timothy is give a lot of energy, a lot of thought, a lot of awareness to this. What was he to pay close attention to? Two things, your life and your, uh, and your teaching. First, we see that he says, pay attention to your life. Literally, in the Greek, it says, pay attention to yourself. It's just understood by self. It meant to his own life, his way of life, his 
comportment, his character. Pay attention to your life. But then he says also, pay attention to your teaching. In other words, the substance of your message, your doctrine. Now, every one of these verses that we just read falls into one of these two categories, Timothy's life and Timothy's teaching. Now, admittedly, this morning, the message is directed toward ministers, toward those that might aspire into the ministry. I was thinking Matt is working hard out there, but Matt would be probably the young minister that Paul would be speaking to here. There are other young ministers that Paul would be directing this. But you know, the beautiful thing about God's word is we all can glean something from it, can't we? Even though it was intended for Timothy, we can apply it to our hearts today. Even though it was an older minister writing to a younger minister in Ephesus trying to give him instruction of how to lead the church, there are truths that we can gain from it today. Now, Timothy was a young minister. By that, I don't mean a teenager. He was probably about in his mid-30s. And Paul is directing him to give attention in two areas, to his life and to his teaching. This morning, I want to look at these in reverse order, not that one is more important than the other, but to be honest, as I was studying it, it seems to flow easier for me to preach it this way. And the first is this. Paul said to Timothy, pay attention to your teaching. I want to look at four ways that he instructs Timothy here to pay attention to his teaching. First, in verse 6, if you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ. First, we see this morning that Timothy was to be a sentinel, S-E-N-T-I-N-E-L. That's not an easy word to spell. A sentinel for the gospel. Now, what is a sentinel? I see J.D. standing back there, and he could, in effect, be a sentinel. Let's say someone were to come in uh, that would be maybe harmful to the congregation. He would stand at the door and he would say, you're not allowed to come in here. So the picture I have in my mind is someone standing at the door, keeping watch and guarding. And in that way, that was Timothy's responsibility. He was to guard the church. He was to be a protector of the church. He was to protect the church from what? The infiltration of false teaching. Listen, there are false teachings that are abounding today. We need to pull our heads out of the sand and understand that just because someone uses terminology that may be Christian, it actually may not be true Christian doctrine. You remember a few weeks ago we talked about the role of uh, the elder and the role of the deacon. And one of the responsibilities given to the elder was that of taking care of God's church. That's what it tells us back in chapter 3 in verse 5. And so the elder we talked about in Baptist life would be equated to what we would consider to be our senior pastor. He is to take care or provide care for the church. He's an under-shepherd for the church. Well, what's the responsibility of a shepherd in the agricultural world? Well, first, a shepherd is to tend to and take care of uh, the flock. But not only is he to tend and feed the flock, but he is to protect the flock from harm. So Paul says in here, if you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, in a way you'll be a good servant in the context of serving as an under-shepherd. 
Now, what were these things? Well, we have to go back to what we, where we were four weeks ago. He was warning them about false teaching. Paul was warning Timothy about it. People who were living ascetic lifestyles, they were saying, uh, well, you can't eat that food or you can't get married, and they were trying to elevate these things. And in reality, they were conflicting with the true gospel message. And so as a teacher, uh, the uh, minister is to be a sentinel protecting the church from false teaching. But there's a second word of instruction. We see that in verse 7, and that's this. Don't get caught up in spiritually irrelevant things. Verse 7, have nothing to do with pointless and silly myths. Rather, train yourself unto godliness. In other words, he's saying, don't get caught up in pointless things. Uh, the, the transliteration of that Greek word, we get our English word babble. When somebody's babbling, what do we do? We sort of tune our ears. Why? Because it's pointless. They're just making noise and it doesn't mean anything. And so Paul is saying to Timothy, avoid these things. Avoid the babble and avoid these wives' tales, these, these things that you can chase. Now, uh, I had a teacher when I was in school, and Harriet probably would know this person. Uh, but this particular teacher, let's put it this way, she easily chased rabbits in the class. And all of the class knew that. So if she started a lesson and something significant happened in the world, and this lady was, she kept up with all current events, we realized that you could get her off track, and before long, the bell rang. Paul is warning Timothy here, don't get off track. Don't get off track. Listen, we're living in days. There's a lot of political stuff going on, and it's important. We need to know what we believe, but we need to remember the answer is the gospel. The answer is our creator God. Now, I'm not saying we don't make stands because sometimes we're called to make stands, biblical stands, but as a preacher, my responsibility primarily is to preach Christ, not, not, to, not to chase rabbits. And so he says, don't get caught up in spiritually irrelevant things. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2.2, and Paul was a brilliant man. He said, I decided to know nothing among you except Christ and Christ crucified. That was his focus. Last night, I watched Bobby Bowden's funeral. I sat down thinking it would be 15 minutes. It was over two hours. And he, his son and talked about how he went into his dad's office one day, and he said, and, and I think about 15 years, he'd read through the Bible five times, so he finally felt he could challenge his dad. And he said, I studied justification. I studied all of these terms. What do you think about it? And Bobby Bowden said to his son, Jesus loves me, this I know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Was Bobby Bowden saying to his son, these things, these doctrines aren't important? No, we need to understand the doctrines. We need to study, but we need to remember that we're to preach Christ and Christ crucified. And so Paul warned Timothy, don't get off track. Secondly, or thirdly rather, he says, devote yourself to the reading, to the preaching, and to the teaching of God's word. <clears throat> in verse 10, he says, for this reason we labor and strive, because we've put our hope 
in the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Paul is saying to Timothy, we labor and we strive. That word labor means exhausting labor. The word strive is the picture of a runner in a sprint stretching out to reach the line, putting forth everything. Now, granted, it's understood in this context, he's speaking of laboring and striving toward godliness. And we're going to look at the life of the believer in a moment. But it also means to labor and strive in the studying of God's word. A lot of young people, they look up to young ministers. They look up to youth ministers. I did myself. And I can remember when I was a teenager, I thought, I want to be the youth minister. We've got lots of games. It's fun. And I get to tell everybody what they want to, what I want them to hear. But that's not the ministry in totality. The ministry is work. It's labor. It may not necessarily be physical labor, but it would be emotional labor. It means studying to show oneself approved. We're to give attention to the Word of God. Look at verse 13. He says, until I come, Paul's saying, until I come to you, Timothy, give your attention to the public reading, to exhortation, that is preaching and teaching. The church today, many churches, they're trying to move away from preaching the word of God. But the simple message of the gospel, the clear message of the Bible is the truth. One of the reasons we've gotten so off track in our nation is that we've abandoned the Word of God. I wonder, have you abandoned the Word of God in your life? Are you giving attention to the Word of God? Are you getting up in the morning and just going through your day without reading God's Word or praying? It would be the same as driving 150 miles an hour down 15 without your seatbelt on. It would be foolish to do that. We, we're to give our attention to the Word of God. We need the Word of God. And, and we need the Word of God so we can understand what truth is. We need the Word of God so that we can interpret the times. I was reading Joel just this morning, and it was a blessing to me to remind me God wins no matter what's happening. We need the Word of God. Just an aside for verse 10. It says, For this reason we labor and strive because we put our hope in the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. This is not speaking of universalism that everybody will be saved. Everybody will not be saved. In fact, the salvation of all people, the word people also can be people groups. I was meeting with a, a mission organization, a Zoom call yesterday, and I'm secretary, and I always dread that because I worry I don't get all the notes in. But they shared they were going to India to a part of the world where John and I had been. And it was exciting to be there. And I was getting excited listening to the door possibly opening when this COVID gets out uh, of, of our way. And how people are going to be traveling 100 miles to hear the gospel, to, to understand how to train people in the gospel. The gospel is for all people groups. But the gospel is for the individual who would trust in him. Well, the fourth thing, use and develop your gifts of teaching that God has given to you. If you're a young minister, an aspiring young minister, God has gifted you. You haven't gifted yourself. 
who separates one from the other. You, you've done nothing to make yourself what you are. Yeah, you may have applied yourself. You may have used some of your gifts. The major distinction between the elder and the deacon is an elder must be apt to teach. Now, we have many deacons in our church that can teach. It's not a requirement for deacons, but it's also not something that say, well, you teach, you can't serve. No, it's just that the pastor, the elder, is to be apt to teach. And so here he's telling Timothy, develop the gift. Verse 14, don't neglect the gift that is in you. That's that's sort of the negative of verse 16, pay close attention. Here he's saying, and by the way, don't be uh, neglectful of the gifts that you have that, that come as a result of prophecy. What is that? God speaking the truth that you're so gifted, the laying on of hands. That doesn't mean this afternoon I'm going to be part of a ordination council and should that individual uh, be certified, ordained into the ministry. After that, later this evening, they'll be laying on of hands. That doesn't mean that the church has called this person. It merely means that the church acknowledges or recognizes that God has called. And so the call comes from God. The call comes from God. We need to use and develop the gift that God has given to us. Well, Paul moves on from that. And in verse 15, he talks about practicing the things that the progress in his personal life and his teaching would be evident to all. But then he goes specifically and talks about giving attention to your life. He, he says to Timothy, give attention to your life. And I'll be honest, as a pastor for 30 years, and Brian probably could attest to the same thing, it can be tough. It, it requires discipline. It's not always easy. There are times and weeks when we feel like we're studying to be able to re reproduce and to give out. But the, the danger is if we develop that habit in our lives, if God is not speaking to us, he can't speak through us. And so Paul here is encouraging Timothy about his life. It's not just some performance out there when you stand up and you read or you preach or you teach, but your life needs to be consistent with what you teach. And so he's saying, give attention to your life. Give attention to your calling and the gift, but also observe your life. How many ministers have been disqualified because their life got out of balance with their teaching? They gave a lot of attention to their study to be able to give to others, but little attention to their own lives. Well, what's Paul's counsel here? Four things. First, Stay humble. Notice what he says in verse 6. If you point out to the brothers and sisters these things, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus. He said you'll be a great orator. You'll be a great administrator. He said you'll be a good servant. God's pastor, God's minister is to remain humble. And it can be humbling. I was thinking last night, if I die this week, this pulpit will be filled next week. That's humbling, isn't it? If I die this week, there will be somebody here to take my place. The servant of God is to be just that. We're to serve, we're to be humble and grateful for the opportunity to serve. God's word says that he opposes the proud but gives grace 
to the humble. That's James 4, 6. Not only we're to stay humble, we're to stay hungry. Notice what he says at the end of verse 6. After he says, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus, he says, nourished by the words of faith and the good teaching that you have followed. In other words, nourished. I just said one of the dangers of the minister is studying to be able to regurgitate or put out. But what Paul is saying to Timothy here, you yourself need to be fed. You need to receive preaching before you can give preaching. You need to be nourished by the words of faith. Again, the, the desire of the minister is God to speak to him and through him, not just to bypass speaking to the heart. And so he's speaking to Timothy he, here. He's saying, while you're carrying out all of these teaching responsibilities, stay hungry in your own personal life. I wonder, do you have a daily devotion? With the Lord, you say, "Well, I'm I'm not a preacher." I didn't say that. I, I'm saying, do you have a daily devotion with the Lord? Are you allowing God to speak in your heart? Is there a time set aside, ten minutes, twenty minutes, a half hour, an hour, where you devote to studying God's Word? We're to be nourished. The third thing, he says to this young minister, stay disciplined. Verse 8 is a very famous verse. It says, For the training of the body has limited benefit, but godliness is beneficial in every way, for it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Paul is comparing physical conditioning to spiritual conditioning. Now, he says physical conditioning is good. And if you, like I am, if you're overweight, don't use this as an excuse to say, I'm just going to focus on my spiritual growth. That's wrong. Because notice he doesn't speak down physical value. He says it's a good thing. Physical training is a good thing. But godliness has promise not only for this body that will waste away, but for eternity. Back when I was in shape, and I need to get back in shape, and I'll hope to work on that. But I remember when, when I was playing sports and competitive, there were things that I had to remove. I couldn't drink sodas. Whenever I drank sodas, I would lose my wind, and so I would just drink juices and water. But not only did I have to remove certain things, I also realized that I needed to positively condition my body aerobically and working. And so there are things that you remove and there are things that you add to your life. And so if we're going to grow spiritual and godliness, there's some things that we have to remove that do what? That keep us from being where we need to be spiritually. There may be a group of people we need to separate from, habits that we have during the week that we need to remove. But then there are the positive things, studying the Word of God, obeying the Word of God, praying. And so Paul is saying, Stay disciplined. Look at verse 12. Don't let anyone despise your youth, but set an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and in purity. Now, you can't control what somebody says about you. I can't control. And so when he says, don't let anyone despise you for your youth, Timothy couldn't keep anyone from saying, oh, he's just a young, he doesn't know anything. No, but Timothy could live his life and conduct himself in such a way that he wouldn't give them an excuse to do so. That's what he's saying there. And how was he, again, the inside out? 
outwardly in speech and in conduct, our comportment being righteous, in love and in faith and in purity, being Christ-like in how we respond to others. We're to stay disciplined in developing these things. And then finally, we see that he says, stay respectful toward others. We've really lost respect today. I think I'm speaking like an old person now. Um, I remember parents saying, we've lacked respect for authority. We've lacked respect for other people's feelings, for thoughts. But God says the young minister is to be respectful. Notice what he says in chapter 5 and verse 1. And he speaks about four groups. And one thing about the pastoral, he's always speaking about groups, segments within the church, usually along gender uh, lines and age lines. But he says, don't rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. You may disagree with someone who is older in the Lord than you are, but you're not to treat that individual harshly. You're to treat that individual with respect. Notice the word exhort is different from rebuke. When I think of exhort, what I think of positive connotations. When I think of rebuke, I think of somebody doing that. It doesn't mean that an older person shouldn't be corrected, but an older person should always be corrected by a younger person with proper respect. Notice what it says, younger men, you're to treat your younger men in the church as brothers. It could be easy for Timothy to think, well, I'm the one that's been given charge here. I'm the one that expounds, teaches the word of God. Paul said, no, you're a brother. You're a fellow brother with those your own age. And he goes on in in verse 2, older women as mothers. Don't talk about somebody's mother. You want to get in trouble? Don't do it. Don't do it. What's he saying? Treat older women with such respect. The same passion and reverence you'd have for your mother, treat older women that way. And then act with discretion toward younger women. Treat them as sisters in purity. Don't use your position to try to do wrong things. Treat them in the right way. In closing, back in 2006, I had the privilege of going to my first and only convention of the Southern Baptist Convention. It was held in Greensboro, North Carolina. It was about probably 6,500 people there. Something else was very special. It happened to be the year that I was there. Our convention was recognizing what I believe to be the greatest Christian leader in the last half of the 1900s, Dr. Adrian Rogers. And uh, he had passed away earlier, and the convention rightly was recognizing his years of service at Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee. And so after um, we uh, recognized him, I thought that would be everything, but it wasn't. His wife, Joyce, stood up. And when she stood up, she read something that was given from Adrian Rogers to the Southern Baptist Convention. It was a statement. And Everybody received a copy. They passed out 6,500 copies. They rolled up the copies and put them in metal red-colored cylinders, and they distributed them. And what she said, they were like batons. She said, Adrian has run his race. Now he passes the baton to you. It was a reverent moment 
until the guy in front of me dropped his and it hit the concrete and it went clang, 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 clang. In that poignant moment, we just began to chuckle. Somebody said, well, he didn't carry it very long. We're living in tough days. We've got to carry the baton. Our lives, as we look around, and we, it's so easy to judge what's going on, God, let me look at my life. Am I praying enough? Am I walking with you? Am I devoted? Guess what? If, if we take care of that, God will take care of us. And we need to watch our teaching. Every serious Christian needs to be familiar with two chapters in the Bible. You need to get a good commentary. You need to study it. The book of Jude and 2 Peter chapter 2. You ought to study it and study it and study it. Because those are the two chapters in all of the New Testament that clearly depict the perils of false teaching. How to recognize it, how to know it. And we ought to study it. Because people, the problem is not just out in the world, it's in the church today. And we need to know what we believe and why we believe it. Watch your life. Watch your teaching. Let's pray. Father, as we've looked at your word today, I pray... Lord, and thank you for your word. Lord, it was given to a young minister who was leading a congregation. But Lord, your word has the power to speak to all of us in all seasons. Lord, forgive us for the times we've neglected the study of your word. Forgive us when we try to navigate this world without the things that you have provided for us to help us in it. Lord, help us to watch our life, to watch our teaching. Lord, to, to be a beacon in these days in which we live. And Lord, may you be glorified in it, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God may have spoken to you today. We want to give you an opportunity.